From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome, friends, to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I'm sitting in for Tony. Tony is still on vacation, but he will be back with you on Monday. And I know that we are all excited about his return to the microphone. I want to remind you, you can find the program at TonyPerkins.com, this and every show. Also, I have a special announcement I want to start off today with for all the men who may be in or near Lynchburg, Virginia. We invite you to join us this Saturday, August 28th, for the Stand Courageous Men's Conference that FRC is bringing to Liberty University. This event is for men of all ages and seasons of life who want to better understand their role as defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy. For details, visit standcourageous.com. If you want to know what other cities the conference will be headed to, upcoming events are also listed on the website standcourageous.com. I will be there. Tony will be there. General Boykin will be there. Lots of other great speakers will be there. It will be a great time. Encourage you to join us, standcourageous.com, for all the details. We got a lot to do today. It's a it's a packed program. Uh, the situation on the ground in Afghanistan is evolving quickly. How are Christians responding in Afghanistan? We'll talk to one organization that is mobilizing to help them. In addition, the House of Representatives passed HR4 last night. It's yet another attempt to federalize state and local elections. What does it do and what will happen to it in the Senate? Ken Blackwell will join us for that conversation. In addition, the Trump administration created a rule to make it more difficult for colleges and universities to strip funding and recognition from religious student groups. Is the Biden administration working to change that? We'll talk about that. And at the end of the program, we'll talk to a pastor who is having some success convincing his local school board to reject a statewide transgender policy. How did he do it? Would it work for you at your school board? Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit later. But first, for the headlines today, there's less than a week left for American troops to withdraw from Afghanistan before the August 31st deadline. And the number of people at the Kabul airport reportedly waiting to leave is more than 10,000 people, a number that is expected to change as more people arrive at the airport in the days ahead. While most people are asking what will happen as August 31st approaches, some are already looking further down the road. What are the long-term ramifications of the chaos in Afghanistan? With me now to talk about this is Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of CNS News. Terry, welcome back to the program. Hey, Joseph. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're glad to have you. This is an important conversation, and I don't think it's premature. Um, to set this up, I want to play a clip of Congressman Mike Waltz, who served multiple tours of duty in Afghanistan as a Green Beret. Now, he gave these remarks yesterday during a House GOP press conference. America is going to face al-Qaeda 3.0. The intelligence community has been clear and has briefed us repeatedly the Taliban taking over means al-Qaeda 3.0 comes roaring back, except now we're in a worse position than we were before 2001. We have no bases in the region. We, our local allies are being hunted down as we speak. And as you've heard today, the Taliban are going to be armed 
to the teeth so that when future American soldiers have to go back in to deal with the problem and deal with the incompetence of this administration, how many are going to die now because they're going to have to fight their way through our own equipment? What's your response to the idea that we may have to fight al-Qaeda again in Afghanistan, but only next time they'll have our equipment? Well, al-Qaeda and or ISIS. And uh, I think I think the congressman makes a very shrewd and uh, accurate point. You know, the horrible thing about this is this was predictable. If you, any American wants to, you can go online and, and Google up the annual threat assessment that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence put out in April before Joe Biden decided he was going to move ahead with the final pullout from Afghanistan. Let me quote for you two lines from what the Director of National Intelligence was telling the whole world, let alone the President of the United States. He said, quote, the Taliban is likely to make gains on the battlefield, and the Afghan government will struggle to hold the Taliban at bay if the coalition withdraws support. Kabul continues to face setbacks on the battlefield, and the Taliban is confident it can achieve military victory. So earlier this year, before Biden decided to go ahead with the withdrawal, our intelligence community was publicly saying the Taliban thought they'd take the country back over if, in fact, the coalition withdrew from supporting militarily the, the Afghan government. And just one other point I make quickly to start this off is that our real goal strategically as Americans in Afghanistan was to prevent that country from being used as a sanctuary and a base from which terrorist groups like al-Qaeda did in 2001 from attacking us in the United States or anywhere else in the world for that matter. We were achieving that goal in recent years with a relatively small sized force in Afghanistan, having Bagram Air Force Base there, seeing what was going on on the ground, and being a hedge against the Taliban returning to power. When we were through, just like I say, the DNI was predicting what would happen. Yeah, Terry, there's an old saying that you shouldn't tear down a fence until you know why it was put up. Do you right. think in this case that the Biden administration just lost sight of why we were in Afghanistan in the first place? I, I, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the speeches Joe Biden has, has uh, given about this, he keeps saying over and over again, we went there to make sure it wasn't used as a sanctuary for terrorists to attack the United States. He is correct about that. And if you look at the military, every military report they've put out in recent years, they state that as a strategic goal of the United States. But then why do you leave? Biden has this argument that, well, terrorism has metastasized around the world. <laughs> terrorism has metastasized since Biden started pulling our troops out in Afghanistan. And, you know, people know that the Taliban has long been aligned with al-Qaeda. They were aligned with al-Qaeda when al-Qaeda launched the 9-11 terrorist attacks. But there's another force that's at play now in Afghanistan, that's the Islamic State specifically ISIS Khorasan, they have ambitions of attacking the United States. They are actually enemies of the Taliban, and they've been conducting outrageous terrorist attacks in Afghanistan over the past year, including seven days after Biden started the withdrawal. They went into a predominantly Shiite neighborhood in Kabul, and they, they set off three bombs, including a par car bomb, at a girls' school as girls were leaving the school and killed about 87 teenage girls. Who, what, what, what had they done wrong, according to this ISIS terrorist group? Number one, they were girls going to school, and number two, they were probably Shiites. So they murdered them. That, that's what was taking place in the background of Joe Biden deciding, we've got to go ahead with this pullout.
Yeah, we're talking to uh, Terry Jeffrey, editor of uh, CNS News. Um, the Biden administration seems to, uh, is there disagreement, I'll ask it this way, is there disagreement within the intelligence community that our involvement in Afghanistan has actually uh, managed to minimize the terror threat around the world? Well, I think it's clear that it's it's helped to minimize the terror threat. I, th I, I From my own point of view, I think that George W. Bush made a mistake after we went in and we, we uh, overthrew the Taliban and and we later found out that Osama bin Laden fled to Abbottabad, Pakistan, where we eventually got him, that George Bush tried to transform the mission into Afghanistan into democracy building. He thought we were going to, he literally thought we were going to build some kind of Western style democracy there where people enjoyed liberty. He famously talked about it in his second inaugural address. I think that was a fantasy. It was never going to happen. And it distracted people in some ways from the fundamental question of, how do we best use U.S. forces and other U.S. national assets to make sure that Afghanistan doesn't reemerge as a terror threat to the United States? And, uh, you know, Joe Biden clearly didn't understand the best way to answer that question. What do you think is the best way to answer that question? What do you think the response should have been? Well, I, th I think we should have maintained the status quo. I think it was working. I think that, quite frankly, President Trump made a mistake to decide to withdraw. It's amazing that he negotiated that deal with the Taliban. I think, I think that someone looking at it, realizing the strategic aim is to prevent terrorist attacks on the United States from originating in Afghanistan, would say we've been succeeding at this with what we're doing. Let's keep a, a relatively small force here. Let's maintain Bagram Air Force Base. Let, let's make sure we have eyes on the ground so we know what's going on in Afghanistan, and we can do what we have to do to be a hedge against the Taliban taking over the country again or a terrorist group like ISIS or al-Qaeda using Afghan territory as a base to attack the United States. But we walked away from that. And quite, quite frankly, I think President Trump made a mistake in starting to walk away from that. Had we been suffering you know, massive numbers of casualties in Afghanistan in recent years, I think that would have raised serious questions. But we were not. So I think it was, uh, it was a mistake to alter the status quo, which was actually helping us achieve a very important strategic aim. You mentioned the fact that this was a goal of the Trump administration as well, and, and many presidents, and Obama certainly talked about this as well, and certainly Biden is, is following through on the promise to uh, extract our forces from Afghanistan. But since there seemed to be a bipartisan agreement that nation-building should not be an objective and we would like to not have endless wars, do you think any part of this is Monday morning quarterback, quarterbacking in light of the fact that it's just not going well? Well, I, 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 yes, I do think that. I mean, I think that uh, I do think there's a lot of people who had wrong-handed ideas about Afghanistan. You know, uh, George Kennan, who was a great American diplomat, a great intellectual, he wrote a great book called American Diplomacy, where he wrote that moralism and legalism run like a red skein through American foreign policy. And so there's a tendency on the part of the United States to, rather than achieve a limited and concrete specific goal with the use of military force when you use military force, so you know when the conflict is over and you know what you're trying to achieve, the United States transforms military conflicts into moral crusades. In this case, it was Afghanistan was wrongly, as I mentioned, transformed by President Bush into a moral crusade to remake Afghanistan into a democracy. That was never going to happen.
But it, like I said, I think that distracted us from the only real goal we had there, which is to prevent Afghanistan from being used as a sanctuary from which terrorists like al-Qaeda and ISIS can plan and begin the execution of attacks against us. And I think it would be important in the future, especially for conservatives, because I do think the idea of having a moralistic foreign policy is tempting to conservatives, which is why some conservatives liked it when Bush expressed that point of view. It's a, I think it's important for conservatives going forward to rem remember that really, it, when you get down to it, the most moral foreign policy for the United States is a pragmatic one that uses limited means where possible to achieve basic fundamental goals in protecting the interests of the American people, not in launching some kind of endless crusade to change the world. Terry, got about 30 seconds. What should he be doing now in light of where we're at in Afghanistan? Well, today, uh, Secretary of State Blinken talked about the up to 1,000 Americans, I think, are still there. We absolutely have to make sure that all of those Americans, if they want to come home, have the ability to come home and they're not left to the mercy of the Taliban. Terry Jeffries, editor-in-chief of CNS News, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it Thank today. you very much. Coming up, as we continue to monitor the chaos in Afghanistan, which we hope is not always going to be chaos, what are Christians in Afghanistan facing as the Taliban tightens its grip on the region? We'll talk about this next with Dr. Rex Rogers, the North American president of the Middle East Media Ministry, SAT-7. They're communicating with Christians in Afghanistan. We'll hear what he is hearing. Stay with us right after the break. Come on back. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. How hard is it to be patient? Whoa. Are you always rushing here and there? Busy families, busy children. You know, we live in a busy world. People rush to wait in line, and then they rush to go home. Late hours are common, and people are tired, and emotions may be fragile. Listen to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and troubled, and I will give you rest. Despite all the demands placed on families today, there is a place where you can find rest. You can take time to retreat from the craziness of life by bringing your family together for a time of prayer each day. Let us encourage you to pull away every day. Take time to breathe deeply from the Word of God and ask Him to give your family rest. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved <laughs> me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are with us. Yesterday, a Taliban spokesman advised working women in Afghanistan to stay at home for their own safety because the Taliban soldiers, quote, keep changing and are not trained to respect them. Now, this might explain why we've been hearing reports of door-to-door -door manhunts for those who collaborated with the United States. And there have been reports that Taliban militants are even pulling people off public transportation and killing them on the spot if they're Christians or considered ethnically unpure, despite assurances from the Taliban leaders that they will not seek revenge on opponents and that everyone will be forgiven. So it's really happening on the ground that conflicts with what the Taliban is saying or, or promising. Joining me now to talk about what his group has been hearing is Dr. Rex Rogers, North American president of the Middle East Media Ministry, SAT-7. Dr. Rogers, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, sir. Well, very quickly, uh, tell us what you know. Well, we're hearing mixed reports of kind of things that you just referenced. Uh, we hear from people who are contacting us through social media. Uh, they're suggesting that their security is at risk. They're saying that they're afraid to go to Christian meetings. They don't know what's going to happen to them if they continue to adhere to the faith. Uh, they're asking for prayer. They're saying they hope that God does not forget them. And they hope that uh, we don't forget them here in the West. Yeah, I think those are fair concerns. And, and we are, of course, calling everybody to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. If you can, we, we hear that the airport has been locked down for Afghani nationals and the Taliban is saying you cannot go there. Practically speaking, what are the options for Afghani Christians who may not be allowed to fly out? I mean, is there really an option of just try to flee on foot or by car or just try to hide and not be noticed? Are there other options that they have? Well, we haven't heard that those options are going to be very fruitful, but uh, there are going to be Christians in Afghanistan. I think that's something that we in the church in the West need to understand there are going to be Christians left in Afghanistan after all of this somehow i think we may have lost dr rogers audio there he was speaking but i i at least could not hear him and maybe do we have him do we have him back i, I dr rogers are, are you there have we got your audio back i'm, I'm here are you can you okay. hear me 
Yeah, we we had a little glitch, but uh, please carry on. Back up a few sentences and, and finish that thought for us. Sorry about that. We hear a variety of things. We know that uh, after whatever this settles out to be, and we don't know what that's going to be, but we do know that there are going to be Christians left on the ground in Afghanistan, and they're going to continue there, and they're, they live there. And in one sense, it's God's providence. He always has his remnant. He always has his church. And the people are there. Uh, we've compared it to Iran and what happened in 1979. Christians continued to suffer, to struggle. Some were martyred. But the church grew, and the church is growing faster in Iran than any other nation of the world. We don't know if that will happen in Afghanistan, but we pray that it will. And tell me about your ministry and how Sat7 is able to reach Christians in Afghanistan when others are, are just not. Well, Sat7 is a broadcast ministry, and we uh, broadcast off of satellites, which means uh, it's virtually uncensorable. If we were knocked off the satellite, then, of course, we couldn't broadcast. But as long as we're broadcasting, people on the ground with their television sets and satellites can get our programming. We program in Farsi, which is the language of Iran, and most Dari speakers can understand most Farsi. In fact, the Dari Bible is almost identical to the Farsi Bible because Dari speakers can read Farsi script. So we're broadcasting throughout all of our Iran and all of Afghanistan uh, every day programs of hope and encouragement of the gospel and the truth of the fact that God has not forgotten them. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And of course, it is a message of hope from outside in, in a regime and in a world that uh, tries to keep those messages out. But of course, Afghani Christians do not have satellites, at least I presume as much. How are they communicating with you? Well, they're communicating with social media, and I wouldn't assume that they don't have satellites. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, they do, same in Iran, they do like you do and I do when we drop our phone in the mud, we go get a new one they pretty much find a way because the television is a must-have appliance. Once you get it, it's an endless source of information and entertainment, of access to the outside world, even in regimes like the Taliban or others that we could name in uh, the Middle East and North Africa. It's a very, very important tool. And the other thing about television, you don't have to be literate. You don't have to be able to read and write, which, of course, is uh, the case of many people there. Uh, they can gain information. So. That's a very, very important tool, and as long as, God, as long as God allows us to communicate in that way, we'll be broadcasting uh, directly into the homes of Afghan Christians. We know in countries like China and perhaps most famously North Korea, where essentially all information from the outside world has been blocked off, um, is that is there any thought that that might happen with the Taliban as well? As well? Did they try to censor information in that way when they were con in control 20 years ago? Well, they did, and you can try to jam, Iran used to do it and still does, you can try to jam satellite feeds, but you can only knock it off for a few hours, if that. It takes highly sophisticated equipment, it's against international law and sanctions, it's a something that it just isn't done very well, and very practically speaking. But all, all said, um, there are people in even North Korea, these kids, you know, that are smart, or smarter than we think they are with technology, there's really no, nothing, there's no country left anymore that you can say is completely totalitarian in a sense that it can shut down all information. Uh, somehow, some way, things can get out, it can leak. 
Dr. Rogers, we have about 30 seconds left. What can Christians in America do to help? Well, certainly they can pray. They can become informed and they can pray. They can pray for isolated believers. They can pray for the church of, of Afghanistan and church leaders. They can pray for the Taliban. That sounds uh, counterintuitive, but the Lord says pray for our enemies and they are just human beings, sinners in need of grace and we need to pray for them and pray for peace. Amen to that, Dr. Rogers, Sat7. Really appreciate your time and your ministry. Thank you, sir. And on that last point, let's remember, uh, most of the New Testament was written by somebody who was part of the uh, first century version of the Taliban. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, formerly Saul, uh, made, his, uh, made it his pastime to kill Christians until he became one. So yes, let's pray for the Taliban as well. Coming up, the House of Representatives late yesterday approved a federal takeover of America's local elections. The bill is HR4. Is it the new HR1? Stay tuned. We'll talk about it when we come back. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. House Democrats clear the path apparently to a $3.5 trillion budget bill and infrastructure plan. Here's the problem. How much of this money is going overseas and for what? How much of this money is going to an awful lot of things other than infrastructure? And how much of this money is going to more handouts right here in this country? Apparently, there's a lot of talk about the economy is getting some help from positive news in reference to the Delta variant. I hate to break it to everybody, but the Delta variant here or gone is going to help the economy much. The problem with the economy is we have an administration that is the direct polar opposite of the administration that built the strongest economy in the history of the nation. And it's not going to turn around on good news, Alta variant. In the end, when everybody takes a long, hard look, they will quickly come to the realization that the administration is not very conducive to a positive outcome for the economy, GDP growth, good trade, and a whole lot of other things. So let's not get too excited about the economy just yet. Will the markets continue to rise? Probably, because there's going to be buybacks coming in between now and December, and there's going to be money from the international world coming in. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. Last night, House Democrats passed H.R. 4, which had been dubbed H.R. 1, version 2.0, because, like its failed predecessor, it threatens states' election rights and gives authority over elections to the federal government. The bill passed by a vote of 219 to 212, strictly along party lines, with no Republican support. It now heads to the Senate, where 10 Republicans are needed to advance the legislation. What do we need to know about H.R. 4? With me now to talk about it is Ken Blackwell, Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance here at FRC. Ken, 
Welcome back to the program. Hey, Joe, look good to be with you, sir. <clears throat> well, this has been dubbed the uh, John Lewis Civil Rights Bill. He died in July of 2020. But is this legislation in keeping with the spirit of uh, John Lewis's civil rights? Uh, no, no, it isn't, uh, because at the end of the day, there was a healthy respect for the dignity of the individual and individual empowerment. And within the framework of our uh, of our elections, uh, that is uh, how a person can cast his or her ballot, uh, be confident that it's going to be counted uh, and not negated by uh, a fraudulent ballot. Well, one of the things or several of the things that have been put in place to, to guarantee uh, that no ballot ballot is negated by illegal ballot is are things like voter ID, photo ID, uh, clean up our voter rolls to make sure that dead folks are not voting or people are not voting twice across the country. These things are X'd out uh, in this legislation. Uh, this is... Pure and simple, a paragraph by Nancy Pelosi, uh, Senator Schumer, uh, and the radical, the radical left. Let's put it in in, in context. Uh, state legislatures across this country are working to make sure that it's easy to vote but hard to to, to cheat. Uh, and this legislation would, in fact, uh, negate all of those efforts by making the attorney general. Uh, the the elections are in in the country and federalize the whole election process. It's an existential threat not only to our way of uh, our, our system of elections, but I think to our individual liberty and the integrity of not only the ballot box uh, but our our ballot. Ken, I want to make sure people understand how this allows the Justice Department to get involved. Essentially, what H.R. 4 does is it says that the Justice Department has veto authority over any state or local election law that they don't like. And uh, today, of course, there is a uh, Voting Rights Act, which requires all voting rights laws to be consistent with the Constitution. But if you don't like it, you have to go to court and you have to prove in court that this law, any law, whatever that is, is unconstitutional. H.R. Uh, 4 removes the requirement of proving harm, of proving unconstitutionality, and gives a very partisan, of course, Justice Department the authority to revoke a law simply because they don't like it. But Ken, uh, the reason that this is said to be necessary is because of the racist election laws or voting laws that so many states have. Is there evidence that that's true? No, there's no evidence. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> what we have seen election after election, uh, and particularly in this last election, was an increase uh, in, in voting among uh, African-Americans, Latinos, and others, uh, other ethnic and, and, and racial groups. So look, uh, this <clears throat> this is nothing more than a than a, than a power play, uh, and I think that we have to call a halt a halt to it. Look, they want to they want to give they want to empower the same crowd that can't even get our citizens and our 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 allies out of a Afghanistan. They want to in fact empower the same crowd uh, and and a and create a one party system for the folks who have wrecked our economy, moved us towards energy uh, dependence once once again, 
and who have made our cities killing fields. Uh, we're just not going to put up with this. You know, if the foundation be destroyed, as we're told in Scripture, what shall the righteous do? I think if the lovers of liberty see an assault on their liberty and their freedom, what will they do? And I think it's going to be to push back. We can't let this crowd who wants to run God and faith out of the public square, destroy the family, create dependency, uh, and transform us from free will citizens to docile subjects. Yeah. They're in for a fight. Ken, and I think we've seen we've seen recently what governors and executives are willing to do when they are given unilateral authority uh, with respect to mask mandates and now vaccine mandates and passports. Now imagine that same authority uh, over election processes where somebody could just say, I don't like that. Therefore, I'm going to, with the stroke of a pen, uh, strike that down. That's not the American way of doing business. Now, Ken, we got about 30 seconds left. It's past the House. It's going to go to the Senate. What do you expect will happen there? Uh, we must press the all of the senators to vote for maintaining our constitutional republic. And I will just tell folks, if you're not in the room, room, you're not in the game. And so this legislation would try to get you out of the room with your eyeballs and your curious mind. Uh, we must push against the darkness of this system with our points of light. And, and let's remember, there, there's a reason why our elections were not federalized in the first place. This is not a good thing uh, for power to the people. Ken Blackwell, thank you so much for your time today. Good to be with you, sir. Coming up, we have some good news and bad news on the education front. The bad news is that the Biden administration continues to threaten the rights and freedoms of Americans, specifically uh, in colleges. But the good news is there's pushback, especially at the local level. We'll talk about all of that and more when we come back. Don't go away. Calling all university students. Are you looking to grow as a Christian leader and to equip yourself to advance faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Join us at Family Research Council for our 12 to 15 week internship program. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, you will grow in personal and professional development. You will have the chance to work in a variety of departments with positions in policy, communications, event planning, and more. Gain experience by working directly with our experts who will guide you in pursuing careers of influence so you can make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Take the next step in your professional journey. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. 
Big Tech is blatantly censoring conservative and Christian content, and today's issues made sure you're aware. The control of information is stunning. Dr. Scott Atlas, one part of the president's team on coronavirus, cited information out of Europe on the lack of value of wearing masks, and Twitter has removed him. If the issues affect you and your family, today's issues will keep you informed. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on AFR, or listen to the podcast anytime at AFR.net. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm with you. A few days ago, the Department of Education announced in a blog entry that it was reviewing the free inquiry rule, a rule instituted by the Trump administration to prevent colleges and universities from revoking the right of religious student groups to official recognition and funding. Their review will consider First Amendment protections, non-discrimination requirements, and the promotion of inclusive learning environments for all students. Of course, uh, inclusive, that, that word is at this point a buzzword for all sorts of uh, scary things for religious freedom. But joining me now to discuss it is Kim Colby, director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom at the Christian Legal Society. Kim has represented religious groups in numerous appellate cases, including two cases heard before the United States Supreme Court. She also assisted in urging Congress to pass the 1984 Equal Access Act, protecting secondary students' rights to meet for prayer and Bible study on campus. Kim, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph. It's great to be here. Well, we are glad to have you, and I know you have extensive experience in this issue, and you are exactly the person we want to talk to about it. So first, just tell people, what is the free inquiry rule? So the free inquiry rule was adopted about a year ago, September 2020, uh, by the Department of Education under the Trump administration. And it has several pieces, but the one that's particularly important is that it requires that co public colleges and universities give religious student groups the same benefits that they give other student groups meeting at their colleges and universities. And the most important benefits are free meeting space and access to different channels of communication. So the religious groups can let students know that they're there and welcome their participation in their meetings. How common is it for religious student groups to be denied uh, the same treatment that other student groups have? Right, so faith-based groups are a really positive presence on college campuses and many colleges welcome them. But unfortunately, every year we see a number of colleges 
deny equal treatment to the religious groups. They don't like their speech. They don't like some of their beliefs. And so they make life difficult. And this regulation was an acknowledgement of the fact that the religious student groups need protection on all public college university campuses, regardless of whether the colleges want them there or not. Well, the Biden administration has not yet said they will revoke it. Uh, they announced in a blog that they are going to review it. Do you think that's just simply a, a signal for something that is inevitable? Or do you think this is going to be a sincere, uh, just fact-gathering move to decide if this is good policy or not? I hope it's a good fact-gathering uh, time. And we are certainly providing them with as much information as we can about why the rule is a good rule and why faith-based student groups are a positive presence, especially after the pandemic. Uh, we've had 18 months where students are really need spiritual nourishment. They need emotional encouragement. They need the friendships that these groups offer. And these groups are, of course, of all faiths. Um, and all of our groups uh, welcome students of all faiths all ethnicities, all races, all political persuasions. They welcome students, and this is a time when they should be encouraged rather than discouraged. So we're really hoping and praying that the Biden administration will not do anything to this rule. Now, we've seen several examples at colleges around the country where they de-recognize and defund student groups uh, simply because they require their, their leadership to agree with the religious statement of faith of the uh, of, of the student organization. Is that generally the issue that we're running across here? Yes, that's the reason that the colleges, that's the excuse they use for denying the religious groups equal treatment, which is ironic because religious groups are protected by non-discrimination policies. I mean, it's obvious that the ski club should not care what religion its leaders are. That's that's a good application of the non-discrimination policy. But it's a bad application of the non-discrimination policy to say that religious groups shouldn't care about whether their leaders agree with their religious beliefs. So, for example, Christian Legal Society, the group I work for, we have student groups that law students across the country, and we require our leaders to agree with our very simple statement of faith, five basic beliefs that Christians hold in common. That's just common sense. And uh, it's wrong for public universities and colleges to deny equal treatment to student groups because they require their leaders to agree with their religious beliefs. And the argument that we hear from those who who want to get rid of these groups is that it's discriminatory uh, to require leaders to ascribe to the statement of faith that defines your group. Um, but I think most people see it as common sense that if you're going to have a, a Muslim student group or a Catholic student group or a Christian student group, that it would uh, that it would be common sense that the leaders of said groups would uh, be Muslim or Catholic or Christian. And I don't think that's offensive to most Americans, um, but that is the argument that's being made. That has been understood under our First Amendment for a long time as the freedom of association 
which is not which is inherently discriminatory in some sense but it is also constitutionally protected and i just think th this this issue illustrates well the 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 inconsistency and and really the uh, the how unworkable this standard of let's eliminate discrimination in every way we don't video. actually want to eliminate discrimination in every way now um kim it looks like we're having some technical difficulties there but i think we still have kim colby with us kim if we do have you with us still um are you there kim okay well we're we're trying to get kim back and when we do i want to find out what students can do because of course this is affecting a lot of students uh, around the country there are student groups i was once uh, the president of student groups on campus and of course we did always assume uh, that we had the right as student groups to identify uh, along lines that actually connected us uh, the republican student group uh, was expected to have Republicans um, as members. Likewise, the Democrat student uh, group was expected to be run and uh, joined by Democrats. Now, Kim Colby, I think we have you back. Okay. Do we have you with us? Okay, sorry about that. Um, something fine. happened. I think that must be Jeff Zuckerberg again. I, I blame him every time we have technical <laughs> difficulties for listening in and interrupting. But uh, tell me, what can students do in these situations? Anything? Yes. So the first thing is, if you're not plugged into a religious group at your college or campus, uh, please do it. The more students involved, the stronger the faith-based groups are on campus. But also, if your group does run into a problem, they should immediately contact their national organization. The big groups like Crew and InterVarsity, CLS, Navigators, uh, Young Life, uh, Chi Alpha, we all um, have legal resources to help them. And if you aren't a part of one of those groups, uh, we'll still help you. We only care about keeping all faith-based groups on campus. So we help pe people no matter what. So my email is kcolby, K-C-O-L-B-Y at C-L-S-N-E-T dot org. Kim Colby. Director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom at the Christian Legal Society. We appreciate uh, your time today, but mostly we appreciate your, your work on this issue because it is critical that we do keep the door open for the spread of the gospel, and that has to be done in the courtroom, and you are helping that happen, and we are grateful for it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, and thanks to your listeners. So keep that issue in prayer as well, um, because... Uh, because uh, this is going to right now it's it's again it's a review process that the biden administration has said they have begun it's a bad sign that they feel this needs to be reviewed but we are not surprised to know that there are people within the biden administration who are extremely hostile to religious freedom and its various expressions and that means uh, in the name of eliminating discrimination they also want to eliminate the freedom of association with college student groups and we're going to try to prevent that from happening Quick reminder for you, all the men in the Lynchburg, Virginia area, this Saturday, August 28th, is the Stand Courageous 
men's conference that FRC is bringing to Liberty University. It's for men of all ages and seasons of life who want to better understand their role as defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy. We hope you will be there. For details, visit standcourageous.com. It will encourage you. It will equip you. It will inspire you to be the kind of man that you want to be and that God has called you to be. Again, the website is standcourageous.com. Next up, we are going to trans we are going to move to an education conversation. And we just talked about the challenges that are happening on college campuses for student groups and the potential threat from the Biden administration. But we want to focus a little bit on some good news at the local level, because the fact is, uh, while there has been a lot of controversy at the school board level, both around the sexual revolution, um, sex education curriculum, as well as transgender policies, and more recently, the uh, uproar around critical race theory and what that means that children would be taught at, at their local school, we are having some success as we push back. In the state of Virginia, the story is that the state mandated a transgender policy statewide. But in the spirit of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, there are some school boards that are just saying no to their overlords at the state level, which I think is very encouraging, and I hope you do as well. But what this is requiring is it's requiring parents, it's requiring students, in some cases it's requiring faculty and teachers in the school district to do something about it. And it is also requiring some pastors to do something about it. And last Thursday, the Newport News School Board in Virginia rejected their statewide policy, the statewide transgender policy, in a five-to-one vote. On Monday, the Chesapeake School Board chose not to vote on the policy at all. And last night, the Virginia Beach City Public School Board postponed a vote, saying it would violate its laws to vote on, without, on the policy without a review. Joining us now is Russell Evanson. He's the lead pastor of the World Outreach Worship Center in Newport News, Virginia, who helped organize the turnout at the Newport News School Board meeting. Mr. Evanson, thanks for joining us. Sure. Glad to join you. It's Evanson, if you don't mind. Evanson, I apologize for that. I, I will get that right. Mr. Okay. Evenson, tell us the story of how the Newport News School Board voted against the policy there. We got word that August, Tuesday, August the 17th, uh, that they were going to vote on this uh, policy for the transgender Department of Education policy. And so we kind of rallied from our church group and a couple of others. We had about 150 people down there and uh, they allowed us to speak. They actually were pretty gracious in that they extended the uh, uh, right to speak for three minutes per speaker two times, so a total of one hour. And then they brought up a re the research committee and all the reasons why the school board should approve the transgender policy. And then, of course, the school board discussed in front of everybody there and took their vote, uh, five against, one abstention, and one for it. Well, we thought it was a done deal. And then within the next couple of days, they started receiving all kinds of email challenges and pressure from uh, politicians and some of the public, but predominantly politicians saying that uh, the school board was a disgrace to Newport News. And uh, so they wanted to do a uh, another uh, actual meeting, which is scheduled for tomorrow night, Thursday at 6.30 p.m. The catch was they were going to do it knowingly 
knowing that the chair of the school board was going to be out of town. And so there were some legalities and some funny business about it. So we kept uh, emailing them and quoting their policy to them. And uh, we started rallying the troops because they we had heard that some of the politicians were saying, well, that's just one church. And uh, what do we care about what one church thinks? And that's no big deal. So we said, you know what? This really is an expression of the body of Christ. We just need to make it known. So we got on the we got moving, and uh, I think tomorrow night they're going to see a, a groundswell of more than just one church. They're going to see quite a contingency of people there. At first, they were not going to allow uh, comments to be made the second time, but they have conceded to that, and they will allow comments to be made. I'm sorry I'm doing this from a, a car. I'm actually on vacation. and. <laughs> Well, we're thankful uh, that you've joined us. Do you have a sense that the uh, that the school board is going to continue to hold the line? That's our prayer, and we kind of got some uh, inside track that they were, that uh, they just needed to be encouraged. And actually, I heard your previous comment. We have heard that Chesapeake uh, did not approve that policy. Uh, Virginia Beach is waiting. York County is waiting. Uh, but we had heard Chesapeake uh, denied uh, to approve it. So I don't yeah. know. There's a little bit of conflict there. No, I, I think that is what I said. And if and if you heard something otherwise, I may have misspoken, but, you, but you're correct. They did not uh, vote on the policy at all, which means they did not adopt it. But it, you're yep, a pastor. And, and, and do you feel like, and I'm going to ask you this, it's, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's a serious question as well. Do you feel like that your involvement here has uh, detracted you from your main priority of preaching the gospel? And we got about 40 seconds. No, because I view it as kingdom occupy until Jesus comes, uh, preach and teach and live biblical values. And uh, so I don't see it as politics. I see it as standing for the kingdom and biblical values. Well, we would agree with you, and we think that your example is one that I hope inspires many. Russell Evenson, lead pastor of the World Outreach World Center. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for your courage in leading your church in defending your children there in Newport Beach. Really appreciate it. Appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. God bless you guys. And that's going to do it. That's a great way to end the program today. Uh, it's a great example of success. And why are they having success? Because they are showing up. And in this world, success goes to the people who show up. So be the guy, be the gal, be the kid who shows up to do the job. We'll talk about how you can do it more tomorrow on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.